days like today, worship like this morning, I'm thankful for deodorants. A lot of, a lot of arms in the air. Uh, it is, it's just hot. So uh, praise God for deodorant, right? It's the little things. Um, <clears throat> before we dive in, I did want to say thank you on behalf of uh, my wife and I. So many of you guys have come alongside us uh, the last month, really, and just showered us with love. Uh, we really have felt very loved from this church. Um, for those of you who don't, don't know, my wife had a baby, and she's here for the first week. Um, yep, 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 yep. So um, mama is healthy. Baby Everly Jane is healthy. And uh, we just we wanted to say thank you guys for uh, loving us so well. Pretty much every other day someone shows up with this exquisite meal that uh, really throws off all of my dieting plans. So <laughs> I'm not bitter, just fatter. But we are going to be in Psalm 130, so if you do have your Bibles or your phones or your tablets or whatever you've got available, go ahead and flip on over to Psalm 130. Uh, we're going to see that this is a really powerful uh, psalm of, it's an expression of contrition, it's an expression of repentance. Uh, this is actually a fairly well-known psalm, it's a fairly famous psalm, if you will. There have been movies made about it, there have been books inspired by it, there have been Songs, we're actually going to sing a song at the end of the service, literally entitled Psalm 130. Um, <clears throat> this is a powerful psalm, and so if you do have the, the pamphlet thing with you, forgive the title at the top. That's not actually the title. The title of, the, of this morning's message before we dive in is Climbing Out of Darkness, Four Marks of a Repenting Believer. Four marks of a repenting believer. This is where we're headed this morning. I'm going to read Psalm 130, and then we will jump right into it. <clears throat> Psalm 131 through 8. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Wait for the Lord, my soul waits and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. <clears throat> you guys might have noticed in the first couple verses there, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. In verse 2 he says, O Lord. Verse 3 he says, O Lord, O Lord. So we, right off the bat here, we see there's some intensity, there's some passion. So what's going on? Have you guys ever felt so disgusted by your sin that you didn't want to even talk to anyone? Have you ever, felt, you ever sinned so much that you didn't think God would hear you anymore? I don't, I mean, I hope we're not in that position, but I'm not naive enough to think we haven't been there before. And maybe some of you guys are there this morning where you are currently walking through, you are currently weighed down by your sin, and you're just struggling to think right. And you're having a hard time being positive, you're exhausted, you're hurting, you're in pain. And we're going to see that the person who wrote Psalm 130, he, he felt that way too. He just blew it. He just messed up. And he's going to show us how he climbs out of the depths of his sin and onto solid ground. He's going to show us how he actually goes from from crying out to God to having confidence in God to craving for more of God and then actually being committed to God's people. 
So these are the four marks of a repenting believer. That's where we're going. The first one, in verses 1 and 2, you see here, a mark of someone who wants out. I'm sick of it. I'm, I'm so disgusted by my sin. I want out. And so we see right out of the gates a cry for mercy, a cry for mercy. You know, something about an emergency, and uh, I, this is, I guess, the way that it used to, used to be. If you ever call 911, and they would ask you a couple questions. I don't know. I've just heard this. I just heard. I listened to a pastor say something about this who grew up a long time ago. And he said, this is how it used to be. If you call 911, they would say, I don't remember the first question, but they say, state your what? What? Emergency. State your location. All right. Everyone is apparently young. Okay. <clears throat> uh, yeah, maybe they said state your emergency. What's the problem? Obviously, they're going to ask you that. But then state your location. Where are you? And so verse 1, he tells us, I'm in the depths. This is the location of my emergency. I'm in the depths. We could substitute that for your pain. Anything, right? So, so I am crying out to God from the depths of my pain. I'm crying to you, God, from the depths of my divorce, from the depths of my terrible job, from the depths of my personal acceptance issues, from the depths of my purposelessness, my loneliness, my sin struggle, my heartbreaking disappointment, your debilitating sadness. I'm calling out to you, God. This is what we see. This is, this, is one, six, this is the sixth of seven penitential psalms, where it's a psalm of repentance. Another famous one would be Psalm 51. After David realizes that Nathan the prophet comes to him and, he's, him and he says, dude, you're the man. You really blew it when you slept with Bathsheba and then you killed her husband. And he finally realizes that, and then he writes Psalm 51. He says, man, I did, right? Yeah, God, please create in me a clean heart. This is a similar psalm. A penitential psalm where he feels someone, we don't know who it is, someone feels really bad about what they've done, and they're saying, God, I am in the depths of this. I can't take it anymore. Please help me. These are my darkest times. You know how we know this, though? Based on what he asks for. So in verse 2, at the end of the verse, what, are, what is he pleading for? He says, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for what? Mercy. All right, so now we know the location of the emergency. It's the depths. And now we actually know the, the type of emergency. It's a sin emergency. <laughs> I'm pleading for mercy. We know that it, it's a sin emergency because he's not asking for justice. Because justice, he'd be condemned. If he asked for justice, he'd be like, yeah, I deserve that. I deserve punishment. So God, please don't give me your justice right now. Please give me mercy, because I see it. I blew it. I'm really sorry. Please show mercy to me. I feel the weight of sin on my back. It's like a ton of bricks. Mercy, God. It's, it's it, where David said a couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week, he said that grace, if we were going to define grace, grace is God giving us something that we don't deserve. And mercy, you guys remember this? Mercy is God not giving me something that I do deserve. And here we see the author of Psalms, he's asking for God to spare him from something. He's saying, God, don't judge me. Please just listen. I'm begging for mercy. And there's this inner turmoil that, that seems to be brought on by his own sin. Are you guys there this morning? Have you ever felt this before? I'm struggling internally because of my own stupid decisions, my own poor, unwise choices. And I'm struggling inside. Guys, there's hope, right? There's hope. And there are times in life when our sin does get so heavy, it brings us down really And when sometimes we feel like we are in the belly of a whale. Sometimes we feel like we are in the depths of our sin. And maybe your guilt 
is the elephant in the room of your heart this morning. Maybe you've backslidden. Maybe your sin has made you feel really far from God. I mean, was there a time when you were closer to God? You feel like there was a time when you were closer to God than right now, then maybe there is something going on. And maybe it is time to take a little introspective glance at what's going on in my heart. Because I needed this. <laughs> I so needed this this week. And God revealed to me that I, I think I've kind of backslidden a little bit. And, but but there's, there's still hope for us, guys. And, and if we have stated this location and, and we are stating our, our kind of emergency here, guys, there's hope. I'm so thankful for the song, Are You Hurting and Broken Within? Overcome by the weight of your sin. And guess what? You can come to the altar. Guys, we can cry out to God like the psalmist is here. We can cry out. That's the beauty of the kind of God that we have is that he hears us. So God is he's the first responder in this emergency that we see. And he does indeed listen. So here he says, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. He hears us, guys. God, God knows our voice. If we were to like keep going a few chapters to Psalm 139, it says this. And this is crucial to us in our understanding of how God sees me, of how God knows me intimately. Psalm 139 says this. Oh, Lord. You have searched me and known me. You guys got to listen to this because this, this literally changes everything. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. Yeah, he can hear you in the depths. He can hear you. Cry out to God. Guys, if that's you right now, you feel like you are the one that has been brought so low and you have so much weight on your shoulders because of your own self-inflicted decisions, step one, cry out for mercy. We don't want the justice of God. We accept it. We blew it. We want your mercy. God, respond to my plea for mercy. So cry out. But there's something about, about us as humans where we often have our own responses when we're in the depths that keep us from crying out to him, right? We have these things that we put in our lives that, that, that we're kind of comfortable or we allow that keep us from running to God, keep us from calling out to God. What are, what are some of them? I think one is isolation. No one really cares. What's the use of crying out to God? No one even knows that I'm down here. Uh, another one is defeat. I've already been down here for so long. What's a little longer? It doesn't really matter. Uh, what about unimportance? Why would God, who's so big, care about little me? That's kind of ridiculous. He probably doesn't even notice what I'm up to. Maybe you're calloused. I don't care. I'm numb to the seriousness of sin. And I've been sinning so long that my conscience doesn't even send out alarms anymore with what I'm doing. There's anger. Maybe we respond in arrogance. Guys, we can make a list a mile long of things that we put in our hearts and in our lives to block us from getting to God. But the psalmist was sick of it to the point where he says, I'm, I'm deep, but I'm crying out to my God. I'm crying out to my God. What about you guys? Do you need to cry out to God this morning? Have you put something in your heart, some blockade, some obstacle that you don't think can be overcome to get to God? Guys, God, you know what? So he does indeed listen. And guys, second, he also loves showing mercy. 
That's what the psalmist is asking for. And that is what God gives. God loves, he delights in showing mercy. There's something about mercy in our day and age, in this culture, the way we treat people or the way that we think we should be treated, it's normally based on behavior, whether or not our performance warrants a certain response from people. As, that's not how mercy works. And mercy is often foreign to us, right? Let me share a quick story. You guys may have heard this already. Um, but a mother once approached Napoleon, Napoleon Bonaparte, a guy with the, the hand in his sleeve. We all saw it from like third grade, encyclopedia. And his mother approaches him, and he, she's seeking a pardon for her son. And the emperor, uh, the emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense twice, and justice demanded death. The mother explained, but I'm not asking for justice. I'm asking for mercy. Napoleon replies, but your son does not deserve mercy. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy's all I ask for. Hmm, well then, the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. Mercy in this instance in Psalm 130 is based entirely on God's character. Nothing we've done, haven't done. Mercy is entirely based on the subjective standard of God's character. He is a merciful God. He loves showing mercy to those who are his. He just loves showing mercy to you. And so when we cry out, he listens and he responds with his arms open. He lavishes you with love, kindness, just Come here, man. <laughs> I, just, I just want you. Mercy. Man, what a God we have. All right, so we're going to start to transition now into verses 3 and 4. So verses 1 and 2, we see a cry for mercy. Now we see in verses 3 and 4 a confidence in God's forgiveness. A confidence in God's forgiveness. He says this, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? You're like, wait, 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 Ben, that doesn't sound like confidence. <laughs> Who can stand? You're right. Just bear with me, all right? He asked this question, though. If you marked iniquity, God, who could stand? And actually, that implies a negative response. Like, it implies that no one can in, in the original language. So who could stand before you, God? No one. And that, that makes sense from Scripture because we even know that uh, there is none righteous, no, not one, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one can stand up in front of God confidently and boldly say, not guilty. Without Jesus intervening, that is not how it works. All right, so that is very disheartening, right? That is, there's no confidence in that. But where the confidence comes is in the next phrase. Verse 3, it says, or verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. There is forgiveness that you may be feared. Did you know how powerful forgiveness is? I mean, I would, I would put money on the, the, the fact that forgiveness has power in your life, that you feel it on a daily basis, the lack of forgiveness or someone's forgiveness to you. I remember when I was in high school, I wrecked a family car, and uh, when I got home, bumper in the back seat. My dad greeted me, and he saw the mess, and he laughed, and he said, it's only a car, Ben. Then he billed me for four grand. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but he literally, he said, he said, he said, listen, Ben, I'm just glad you're okay. And then that gave me confidence to tell him the whole story that I'd skipped school, and I was just literally getting coffee and a donut with a buddy, 
and I backed into the, this pole in the driveway of the, the donut shop. <laughs> and, uh, but there was still grace for that, all right? So, so I understand, we understand this. I was forgiven, and he didn't make me pay for it either. It was a $1,700 donut. And he forgave that. It's like, I've, I've experienced this. It's incredible. My son, he forgave my other son for biting him this week multiple times. I mean, we see forgiveness in our lives all the time. Uh, a friend of mine actually forgave another friend's entire school debt. She just said, hey, I love you. This is what Jesus has done for me in this way or other ways, and I want to pay all your debt off. One check, gone. That is forgiveness of a debt, forgiveness of a loan. Now, some of you guys are like, oh, yeah, where's this friend? Where's this friend? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm over here VCOM studying, and uh, this is going to rack up, right? Um, I don't know, but maybe you know someone who hasn't forgiven, hasn't forgiven you for something that you did or vice versa, any of it's just gnawing at you. Maybe you don't have a spouse anymore because of unforgiveness. Uh, maybe you don't have that friend anymore because I just can't believe that they would do that. I could never forgive you. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you're a son or a daughter and you're just held up in the clutches of unforgiveness. You're not extending that to your own parents because they wronged you. I don't know. But forgiveness is real and it's, it's real powerful. And nothing, though, makes forgiveness more powerful and more personal, though, comes through the blood of Jesus. Forgiveness is the result of redemption. Ephesians tells us that redemption through his blood equals the forgiveness of our sins. What's sin? Guys, sin is a conscious and deliberate false step. It's a deliberate error before a holy and righteous God. It's not just this inadvertent mistake. It's almost planned at times. It's conscious. It's willful action against God's character. And the psalmist here in Psalm 130, he's feeling that. He's feeling the weight of his sin in this moment. And he's like, oh, God, give me mercy. Guys, what about you? Are you feeling kind of nasty right now? Feel kind of disgusted with some of your poor choices? Look to forgiveness for healing. Look to the cross. Cry out for mercy. Have confidence in God's forgiveness. Let's talk a little bit more about forgiveness, though. So what, what is forgiveness, then? So forgiveness is much like that friend who paid off my other friend's school debts. It's a release. It's a release of captives. It's the cancellation of that release from a legal charge, the cancellation of a financial obligation or punishment. It's, it's also, it's not like a temporary passing by sin. You know, like your third grade teacher who, like, saw you do that, but was like, let's pretend that didn't happen. Right? It's, it's not like that. It's not just a temporary passing over sin. It's not a suspension of punishment. Right? It's not a suspension of your punishment for the sins that you did. Like when you're at the grocery store with your kid and you don't want to make a scene in the middle of aisle 13, so you're like, zip it, man. You got something coming when you get home. Never done that. You guys have never experienced that, I'm sure. Uh, it's, it's not the suspension of, of punishment, guys. It is this. It is a permanent cancellation of or release from the punishment for sin because it has been paid by Christ's sacrifice. It's permanent. Man, it's, uh, I used to work for Starbucks, and they used to do this, like, Starbucks for life thing. Did you guys ever play that game? Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, well, I, I swear it's real. Uh, so the, this is, I like to view this in a weird way coming from that. It's like, this, this is Jesus giving forgiveness for life. Forgiveness for, for every moment by moment, it's mine. It's this unlimited gift card. It's the gas tank that, re- that never runs out. It's the song that never ends. Uh-oh. Some of you are being traumatized right now. 
It's because on and on, my friend. <laughs> Don't go there. Please, no. But this is what forgiveness is, guys. And it's an account, an account that never runs dry. Micah 7, 18 and 19 says, who is a God like you who forgives, who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? And that implies there's no one like this. There's no God like this. There's no human like this. In John 8, 11, Jesus treats our sins like he did the adulterer. And he's in the presence of this woman who's really blown it. And he goes, hey, I don't condemn you. Because neither, he asked, actually asked him, did they, you guys remember the story? I don't. I shouldn't go from the fly like this. But essentially he says, I am not going to cast the first stone. I don't condemn you. I'm not going to do that either. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, he did say, away, he did say go away and sin no more. Right? But he forgave her. There's no condemnation, guys. This is a permanent release from punishment. What about this? What's the extent of that forgiveness? We've already touched on it, but, but how much forgiveness are we talking here? How much forgiveness? It's unlimited. It is complete and free, and for me, it's completely free. It's all you ever need in this life, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. You know, God would be a lesser God if forgiveness wasn't for all sins, if it, if it, wasn't, un, if it wasn't unlimited for you. He would be a lesser God. Would that not be making decisions on the basis of man, if he kind, kind of got to pick and choose which sins he forgave and which ones he didn't? No, 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 guys, it, it, is, it is all sin for all time. Anyone who puts their faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, they are redeemed. They are bought back from the domain of darkness, and they are given forgiveness. My mom battled cancer in uh, 2019, and she did so successfully. Um, she is doing well. She's, I don't think they've said she's in remission just yet, because I think there's a waiting period you have to go through. Um, but now she's at the point where she goes in every few months, and she gets these checkups. And the biggest question on all of our minds as a family is, did they get it all? Did they get it all? She went through radiation. She went through surgery. She went through chemo. And we're thinking, I hope they got it all. When it comes to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, he got it all. That's going to change us. So naturally, such an act of love, such an act of sacrifice is going to result in our fearing him. Do you guys see that there in verse for the second phrase, he says, he makes a statement, with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be feared. That's kind of a weird, I guess, in our day and age. I don't know if it makes a lot of sense. Uh, why am I going to start being afraid after you just gave me all this forgiveness? Well, that's not exactly the definition of fear here. This is a natural response when you have just been given forgiveness for a lifetime. This is a natural response where we, we, don't, we aren't afraid. We're actually worshiping. We're actually revering. We're actually obeying. We're actually, like, captivated to the point of, wait, uh, you're in a conversation, you hear the voice of God, you're like, wait, 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 what you got? <laughs> it, it is hearing God's voice in our lives and responding. It's like, I'm dropping everything for you, God. I am all yours, and I'm all ears. This is what it means to fear him. And when we do that, we are taking one more step out of the depths of our pain. Guys, have you been forgiven? I don't know if everyone in this room has been eternally forgiven by Jesus Christ. Guys, this morning, you can put your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when he looks on you, 
He doesn't see an account of sins. He doesn't see a record of debt that you owe. He sees justified, forgiven, because you are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the beauty and the wonder of the gospel, and it literally changes everything. The way you forgive others, the way you can experience forgiveness, changes everything, guys. There is forgiveness that you may be feared. Jesus stands ready to forgive, and he delights in that along with mercy. He delights in it. This, guys, leads us to point the third point. So I think when you cry for mercy and he hears you and you experience this never-ending, truly breathtaking forgiveness of the Lord, it creates a craving for more of his presence. Guys, third point, a craving for God's presence. We definitely spelled that wrong. That's all right. My fault. (laughs) There's forgiveness, Jacob. (laughs) Uh, There's a craving. This is the third mark of a repenting believer. This is also just a natural progression. I'm crying out for mercy. I'm being heard by God the Father, and I'm experiencing this forgiveness. And it is insane. It is intimate. It is personal. It is complete. It is life-changing. And no, now I want, I, want to cry, I want more. Give me more. And so this is the picture that's painted in verses 5 and 6 where he says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. Verse 6, he says, my soul waits. For the Lord, more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. I wait. Man. You guys remember when you were first dating your spouse and you didn't really have much confidence? Or your girlfriend, boyfriend, wherever you're at in life. Not everyone's married, I get that. Uh, you didn't have all this confidence and you didn't really have, uh, and, and then you start to you know, talk with this person that you're both, you see, sense there's maybe some like mutual interest here, and so you have the DTR. You guys know what the DTR is? Okay, again, just me. <laughs> Define a relationship, all right? Who are we? What are, where are we going here, folks, right? So you define that you have that, co- that talk, and it is mutual. Yes, she likes me. And that gives you this confidence to pursue her, right? And it also gives you this craving for more of her, more of him. I want to know him. Man, there's something here. Like, this is awesome. And this is what we see here in this progression of, of repenting, this progression of turning our backs on, on the sin from the, the accompanying me to the depths. I want more of Jesus. I want to know everything about you, God. I, I have this, this hunger, this, this thirst for you. So Ben, where, where are you getting this craving stuff? It's in the waiting. You guys see that? Verse 5, I wait. My soul waits. I hope. Verse 6, I wait. There's something about waiting. You will not wait for something that you also don't hope for, right? You won't stop waiting for something unless you have stopped hoping for that. Just take a look at Tom Hanks' wife in Castaway. She had lost all hope that her husband was coming home. And what did she do? She married someone else. And the end of the movie is terrible, right? Heartbreaking. That's waiting, though. We will... We will not wait for something that we do not also have hope for. And with God, we are not going to wait for him if we don't hope and believe that he's going to show up. And since I have been experientially forgiven, and along with theologically and biblically, I've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. I have this confidence in him. He's going to show up again. And knowing that he does show up and he shows out, 
Now I'm going to wait with certainty, expectantly, excitedly, and God's going to change things. I think when we wait here, there's a few things that are brought out from these, these verses. So a few things I already mentioned, but when we wait, we should wait expectantly. He says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. All that is him, whoever's writing this, his soul, like inside, internally, everything that he is, is saying, God, my eyes are on the horizon. I cannot wait for you to show up. And when you've shown up in the past, it's been amazing. I want to see it again, and so I'm waiting expectantly. I expect you to show up. I think when we wait, we should also wait with certainty. That's actually the idea of the word hope in the majority of the Old Testament. In today's day and age, in today's culture, when we hear the word wait, we think we could go either way. right? I think even David's touched on this before in some of his, his preaching. But when we hear hope, it's like, well, I, I hope to do that. I hope we'd be able to. I hope that we can get there. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope this. It may or may not happen. But when it comes to the Old Testament of the Bible, when we see that word hope, there's actually attached to it the idea of certainty. Like, I hope that this is going to happen, but I'm pretty sure this is going to happen. I really, there's, there's some, like, some certainty here. Do you guys see that? So when we wait, we wait expectantly, and we wait with certainty. And nothing gives us more confidence in God than his word, the Bible. The next phrase, he says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. In his word, I am certain. In his word, God has shown up. In his word, God has revealed who he is. If we didn't have the Bible, we wouldn't know who God is. We wouldn't know all that we know about him. If we, if we didn't have the Bible, we'd be left out to dry spiritually. But it's the divine revelation of who God is. Everything about him, everything that he wants us to know about him is found in the Bible. And so we hope, we put our hope in his word. And we have our confidence from our word. The reason we know that we're forgiven is from his word. We have hope. We have certainty. This is the truth. So, guys, we should also wait, I think, eagerly. We should wait vigorously and watchfully. Verse 6, he says, I wait for you more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. It's really poetic of whoever the this, this psalmist is here. It's really poetic, and he's it, it, echoing the statement. More than watchmen for the morning for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. And there's this rhythmic part to it that's kind of built into the text here. And, and it's emphasizing that we should wait for God more watchfully than a, a shepherd would wait for morning. We should watch for God. We should anticipate God. We should be certain that God's showing up, that our gaze is on the path he's come down, and we're waiting for him more so than a night watchman who waits for the morning. Have you guys ever worked third shift? Who's done third shift? Yeah. It's rough, right? <clears throat> yeah. I have not worked third shift, but I have had a baby, and <laughs> they're, they're comparable. Again, I have not personally had a baby. Uh, my wife, if we're going to get all technical, birthed the baby. Uh, but there were times, especially with Cade, our oldest, where I'd be in the middle of the night. I'm holding this child. It's like, you're looking at the clock. You're like, dude, when are you just going to fall asleep? It is 3.30. It's 4. It's 4.30. And your mind starts to be like, all right, if the sun shows up, that's a game changer. <laughs> all right? If we can just wait for first light... My whole mindset will change. I'm getting some head nods. People get it. You've been here before. It's the same with working third shift. You're like, all right, when I see the sun, it's almost quitting time. 
and you are watching, you are waiting for that sun to show up. And that's exactly what we see here, where the psalmist is waiting for the S-O-N to show up. He's waiting for God to show up again. And I am looking for him. Please, God, I am expectant. I am certain that you're going to be here, and I wait for you to show up. Guys, that's convicting. We have a big problem waiting. Waiting is tough. Sadly, it reveals our arrogance. It reveals our pride. We want things now. We're in a culture that caters to that. But when it comes to walking with God, there is so much good that happens in the waiting. There's so much that God wants to teach us while we are waiting for him, but we're waiting actively. I wait for you. I anticipate you. I'm certain you're going to be here, God. So I think when we are, we cry for mercy and we're confident in God's forgiveness, we start to crave more of God's presence. And that results here, and this is where we'll close, that results in a commitment to God's people. Point four, a commitment to God's people. There's a shift in verse seven, all right? So up until this point, you guys can look back, and it's been very personal. It's been very intimate. He goes, I cry to you. My pleas for mercy. I wait. I hope. I wait. My soul. My, my, my. And then in verse 7, then he switches it. And he goes, oh, Israel. What? He says, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You guys see that shift there? Where he's no longer saying, I'm, I'm doing the, the I cry, I wait. It's, it's not a prayer to God anymore. It is now a public proclamation to his family. He says, hey, 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 listen up, fam. Listen up, people. Hope in the Lord, Israel. I've experienced this forgiveness. I have been graciously and mercifully brought out of the depths of my sin and my pain. You guys, check it out. Look to Jesus. He's the one. He can fix this. Guys, there's enough for all of your sins, and there's enough for all of your friends. Guys, look. Oh, Israel, hope in God. And now, do you guys see this here? There's part of growing, progressing out of the depths where when we start to get where God wants us to be, there's an outward focus. We're not focused on me anymore. It's not my pain. Now it's, it's, I'm looking outward at other people's lives. Guys, this is what mature people do. This is what people who have been walked through the depths of their sin do. And when they have climbed out of darkness, a strong and a sturdy footing on solid ground means love others. Get involved with other people's lives. You care about others. This is the sign of maturity. You care about someone other than yourself. Guys, this has been incredible to see the psalmist start out in the depths and now finish rehearsing the gospel. And it brings us to the end. Guys, this is actually an evaluation. So now we can actually take those four points that you guys just saw, and you're going to ask yourself, where do I land? Where do I land? Do I need to cry out for mercy right now because I've been in some nasty stuff and I hate it? And I haven't had the hope to ask for help. I don't think God would hear me. I mean, why would I cry out to someone that I just, he seems really far away. I don't know, but is that you?
Do you need to cry out this morning for mercy? Don't wait, guys, because you know he listens and you know that he has mercy waiting for you. What about the second? Guys, are you, you, you kind of understanding forgiveness? And you're loving it. Is that where you're at? I love the forgiveness of God. And I can say with the psalmist, God, with you, there is forgiveness. What about, what about the third point? Brings us to this craving for God's presence. Are you there? Or maybe you're looking at that and you're like, man, I'm so far from craving God. I'm just trying to survive. All right, well, maybe you need to cry out to God. Yes, we're gonna, if we're in the depths, start in the depths. Grace, grace for that moment. Grace the mercy of God. And let's start to walk out. Maybe you're in the last category where you are. You are maturing, you are growing, you are loving Jesus, and he is, you are committed to God's people. Praise God. Pay it forward. We need you in our lives. We need you to get into our lives. We need you to ask tough questions. We need you to care for us enough to risk the relationship for our heart. You guys, there's something for all of us here. We all need to respond. And before we sing, I'm going to take 30 to 60 seconds, guys, and, and we're just going to all bow our heads. And we're just going to do what we need to do. All right, so in the quietness of this moment, bow your head before a holy God. Do you need to cry out for mercy? Because you taste your sin and you hate it. Do you need to ask for forgiveness? Respond to what God has for you. Because it's time. He wants to get us there, but we're all looking out. We're all looking to others for his glory as we can walk.